Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, No True Socialist. One of the most common logical fallacies is no true Scotsman. Scotsmen don't wear underwear under their kilts. Oh, McGregor over there, he wears underwear under his kilt. That is not a true Scotsman. No true Scotsman wears underwear under his kilts. And nowhere is this logical fallacy more common than when the left is singing the praises of socialism. The dictionary definitions of socialism and communism are slightly different. Socialism is defined as a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Communism is defined as the political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs. So there's not a huge amount of difference between the definitions, and in practice there is even less difference between the two of them. The line between them is blurry and faint. And it's not entirely incorrect to refer to them as socialism slash communism or socialism and its kissing cousin communism. One other thing that socialists have for their denial is the fact that there has never been an economy that was perfectly socialist or perfectly communist or capitalist or corporatist or mercantile or feudal or any other kind of political and economic system. It's never been purely one thing. Even in communist countries where the mere hint of being capitalist was punishable by death, people bartered, and they also relied on a robust black market to survive. And nothing is more purely capitalist than a black market. Now, when you point out the atrocities that were committed in the name of socialism, Socialists insist that the perpetrators weren't really socialists. The Nazis were the National Socialist German Workers' Party. That was their name. But no, the left insists, they weren't really socialists. The USSR was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. But the lefties say, no, no, they were communists. As if there's a big difference. But they can't get away with that with Venezuela because up until just a few years ago, you can find a huge treasure trove of lefties praising that draconian regime for being real and wonderful socialists. They're not crowing quite as loud now, but their words are out there in print on an internet that never forgets anything. Venezuela is a beautiful country, and they once had a heavy tourist industry. They have more proven oil reserves than any other place on earth. They have more oil reserves than Saudi Arabia. 
and they have fertile soil and a year-round growing season. And now, they are literally eating their pets. They use their currency for toilet paper and napkins, because even if the stores weren't almost always out of toilet paper and napkins, on the rare occasions that they're available, they cost so much that it's cheaper to wipe your face and your butt with currency. And when you point out this disaster to socialists, they'll insist the real problem was the few factories that haven't been taken over by the government. Yeah, that's the ticket. It's all their fault. But the few privately owned businesses that survived the nationalization of everything and that weren't taken over by the government were told by the government what they can produce, how much to produce, and what their prices have to be. So, in effect, they might as well be government owned. So here are a few of the prominent socialists praising Venezuela. In 2003, there was an op-ed by Mark Weisenbrot in The Guardian, and it was published with a subheadline: in this oil-rich country, the only thing imploding is poverty. Salon Magazine, now Salon Magazine is one of those sites that if you read it too much, it actually makes you stupider. They said, and I quote, No, Chavez became the bugaboo of American politics because his full-throated advocacy of socialism and redistributionism at once represented a fundamental critique of neoliberal economics. You know they're smart when they use words like neoliberal. And also delivered some indisputably positive results. Indeed, as shown by some of the most significant indicators, Chavez racked up an economic record that a legacy-obsessed American president could only dream of achieving. When Chavez died, Sean Penn released a statement saying, Poor people around the world lost a champion. Penn wrote an article for the Huffington Post where he called Chavez a flamboyant and passionate leader. This is not a dictator supported by the wealthy classes, but rather a president elected by the impoverished and at the service of the Venezuelan constitution, a document not unlike our own. And how about Michael Moore? Oh, don't we all just love Michael Moore, who became a multimillionaire through capitalism, and only through capitalism. He tweeted, Hugo Chavez declared the oil belonged to the people. He used the oil dollars to eliminate 75% of extreme poverty, provide free health and education for all. My, my, my. What a wonderful place it was back then. <laughs> yeah, sure it was. Danny Glover once told MSNBC that he joined millions of freedom-loving people around the world in celebrating Chavez and called him a social champion of democracy, material development, and spiritual well-being. Two university presidents, Peter McLaurin and Mike Cole, in Truthout said, once President Chavez was able to control the oil industry, his government was able to reduce poverty by half and extreme poverty by 70%. Public pensions rose from 500,000 to over 2 million. 
Chavez helped turn Venezuela from being one of the most unequal countries in Latin America to being the most equal in terms of income after Cuba. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great uh, measuring stick, isn't it, Cuba? Under the naked thrall of neoliberal capitalism, here we go again with that fancy word, the United States has become one of the most unequal countries in the world. And now, the people of Venezuela are trapping pigeons in the park for dinner. The laws of economics are as immutable as the laws of physics. And they ensure that socialism will always fail. Some of the reasons are obvious, like the removal of incentives, and others are more complicated, like how removing free market pricing makes it impossible to know the best way to distribute resources. Entire books have been written about why it fails, so I won't try to get into that here, but suffice it to say that these are not economic suggestions or economic suppositions, but economic laws. But unlike the laws of physics, the failure doesn't happen instantly. If you run over a cliff in real life, you get pretty instant results. Socialism's failure takes longer, often decades, sometimes a half a century. It all depends on how soon they run out of other people's money to steal. It's more like cartoon physics, where Wiley Coyote runs off the edge of the cliff and then stops in midair and can see the chasm below, but he has time to try and creep back toward the edge of that cliff before he plummets to a horrible end. Another thing that you'll hear a lot from lefties is praise for a few Nordic countries that are socialist that haven't collapsed because of it yet. They love Denmark, although Denmark is really not socialist. Denmark is very capitalist friendly. They just have an extremely high tax rate, 52% on your income, and then everything that you buy with what's left over is also heavily taxed. They're really not socialists. They're more of a capitalist welfare state. The other one that they point to is Sweden, which is more socialist. Sweden, though, is, however, trying to back away from it, get out of it, and become more capitalist because they're tired of having a more bound economy. The countries that they praise as socialists are pretty much pocket-sized countries. We have large cities that have a higher population than these entire countries do. Most all of our states have a higher population than any of these countries. And so the question of scale comes into play. Something that may work in a tiny little community isn't going to work when you've got 320 million people. And, of course, there is the question of whether it really works in those tiny communities. Back in the 60s, hippies were forming communes all over the place. They were socialist. And none of them lasted for more than two or three years, maybe four or five for the really successful ones. If socialism were really such a wonderful thing, at least on a small scale, we'd have communes all over the country. How many do we have? Uh, yeah, that pretty much tells you how wonderful socialism is. And our second to the last quote is going to come from Bernie Sanders, a man who understands less about the economy than a kid running a lemonade stand. He says, 
When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden. And you know what goes on in those countries? All of the kids who have the ability and desire go to college. And you know how much it costs? It's free. It's free. Nobody pays for it. It's just magically free. And the final quote of the episode comes from P.J. O'Rourke. And he was talking specifically about medicine, but this applies to anything that the government intends to give away for free to its citizens. He says, If you think health care is expensive now, wait until you see how much it costs when it's free. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations. You've been smartnized. The music that you're listening to in the background is my wonderful shadow by the Aquamarines. You can find it on iTunes. You can buy it and listen to the whole thing if you like. It's a fun piece. I really liked it. When I started doing this a long time ago, if you'd like to tell me you agree or that you disagree or you think I'm brilliant or I'm completely full of crap, Dave at DaveHit.com is the email address. Send your comments along. I always love hearing from people. There's also a sparsely attended Facebook page, Quick Hits with two T's. You can find it there. I've seen several different people post from Quick Hits to friends on Facebook saying, hey, I think you'll like this episode. And that's great. I love it. Thank you very much for those of you who have been doing that. Keep it up. The more people listen, the happier I am. And you want to keep me happy. So I keep producing these things. But never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.